All right, so this episode is going to be about Osmandius's weakness. So the last episode, I talked about Dr. Manhattan's weakness, and now I'm going to talk about Osmandius. Am I even saying it right, Osmandius? Anyway, you know who I'm talking about, the old dude, old British dude, Scottish? Anyway, him. Um, there is a quote. There's a quote that I, excuse me, there's a quote that I heard once. And um, the quote, I think I heard it when I was watching Sherlock, the BBC Sherlock, the newest one, um, the series. And uh, I was actually by Sherlock, and, and the quote goes as follows The frailty of genius is that it needs an audience. So the weakness of genius, the Achilles heel of, of, of genius is that it needs an audience, right? So it doesn't fucking matter how smart you are if nobody is there to appreciate your genius, right? To say, oh my God, you're so fucking smart, right? So that's, that's, the, that's the weakness of genius, right? So you can be as smart as you want to um, but if there's nobody there to really appreciate that and, and adore you and say how great you are and point out the fact that you're genius, um, then you feel that, right? Then you kind of feel like, okay, then what the fuck am I so smart about, right? And so that, that's basically what it means in layman's terms. And so as I was watching uh, uh, episode seven of The Watchmen, that quote kind of popped into my mind. There was a scene where... Spoiler alert, if you have not seen Watchmen Season 1, definitely if you haven't seen Episode 7, please stop listening to me now um, because I'm going to talk about it and I don't want to ruin it for you because it is a really great show. So pause this episode or exit out of this episode, go watch it, go catch up, and then you know come back and listen. Um, or I guess keep listening if you don't care. Um, but spoiler alert, there's my warning. So anyway, um, so I'm going to go back. I'm, gonna, I'm still going to try to talk around the situation just so I don't spoil if you're still like spoil it too badly if you haven't seen it yet and you're still listening. But here, here we go. So he is the smartest man alive. And in his mind, he feels like the way to finally give humanity world peace is by wiping out like 3 million people, right? And then causing humanity to unite together um, against a common enemy. And so he chose to either manifest the uh, illusion or the idea of a common enemy and uh, as a result to bring about world peace. Well, um the the episode showed showed him i think like years later after the events in the movie happened where he's like up in his lair in antarctica or something like that just kind of by his own there he's totally alone you know he did this great thing he stopped nuclear war i think the the what was happening was at the time of the movie russia and the united states were basically inching towards nuclear war and by his 
actions, he stopped that from happening and caused the, the United States and Russia and, and thus the rest of the world to come together in peace. They kind of kind of gloss over that. They, they don't really clean it up in the, in the show, at least as far as my understanding is concerned, but that was basically the, main, the, the premise of it. And so when he's in his lair in um, Antarctica or wherever, um, and Dr. Manhattan comes to visit him, he's like kind of miserable um, because he did this great thing, but there's nobody there to like tell him how awesome he is. And like the humanity doesn't even know what he did, right? And so it's like, well, why did I do this thing if there's nobody to tell me that I did a great job and to worship me and adore me and things like that? So um, Dr. Manhattan tells him how he tells Osmandia that he has, and I'm probably fucking his name up, sorry, <laughs> um, but you know who I mean. Uh, so I apologize in advance for the amount of times I'm about to fuck the suit's name up if I am fucking it up. Sorry. Anyway, so Dr. Manhattan sends Osmandia to this world that he had created that was basically like a paradise, Europa. And it was a paradise more or less for Dr. Manhattan up until he realized that the people that he created to basically be loving and not self-serving it almost was like too much there was it was kind of boring i guess and so he left and came back to earth because i guess he missed the drama of it all <laughs> so but he thought that that world would be great for osmanias because um the beings that were there would constantly love him and serve him and give him the adoration that he seemed to be seeking all right and so Osmanius was like, sure, like send me there, like I'm all for that. So he gets sent there, and then we throughout the season and see what his experience is there, and it kind of has become what he thought of as paradise, kind of became more of a hell to him. Um he made it into a hell. I mean, he just kept making more and more clones of these people. And I don't know, I actually don't know if it was him that had made clones or if it was Dr. Manhattan that had made clones of the clones and then Osmania like came in there and then just kept making more and more clones like by reverse engineering Dr. Manhattan's process of creation by creating machine to do that. I'm not entirely clear. Um, but anyway, so now Osmania is like surrounded by a bunch of people who basically just constantly heap him love and praise and he's treated like a god, right? There was a quote there was a book I was written by, I'm sorry, reading by Christopher Higgins, I believe, and he's like an atheist, and he writes, you know, some thought-provoking stuff, and he considers himself a contrarian, so some of the stuff he writes about tends to be against religion, and there was something that he said that made me think, and he compared heaven and the biblical God to North Korea. He's like, think about it, right? Like, And basically, he's saying, like, in heaven... As at least the way the Christians define what paradise and heaven is, is basically you and people who believe in the goodness of God. You know, you go to this place and you're surrounded by all surrounded by a bunch of other people, millions of people who also believe, you know, in the goodness and greatness of God. And so, for all eternity, your job is to just lay around playing harp or whatever, and just talking about how great God is for the rest of eternity. And he likens us to basically uh, the North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un, 
like, um, kind of the same thing, right? Like he wants the North Koreans, he wants his people to constantly adore him and talk about him being a great leader and kind of, you know, push him off. And, and it's a continuous like need and desire for admiration, you know, but it's also a totalitarian regime. And then he, 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 he asked a genuine question, like, why the fuck would you want to partake in that from, you know, a quote, believer's perspective, like, why would you want to do that and call, and how would you even call that heaven, right? If people in North Korea are kind of, you know, running away from the country, because like, that's not, that's not life. That's not a quality of life. Nobody wants that. And then on the flip end, you'd have to be some sort of megalomaniacal individual, like entity to want that constant praise, right? And, and, and not have that shit get old after a while. You know, and, and when I heard that, I was like, holy shit, like, yeah, that's true. So I, I just, um, I just read that like yesterday. And then of course I watched this today and I'm like, oh, that's exactly what's happening to him. So now he's like in this world where the people, you know, praise him. And I'm sure at, at, at one point, you know, he loved it. He loved being catered to and being cared for by these, you know, clones or whatever. And then after a while, he just started just fucking with them. And he didn't even see them as human beings anymore. They just kind of, he just, because you could do whatever, he could do whatever he wanted to them. And they had no free will, right? They, they, they weren't able to sort of be real, gritty, like human, right? Like to say like, fuck this or whatever. So it was like, if you have beings that are by no, they're genetically, they have no free will. So they're genetically engineered to constantly want to serve. So they're not doing it out of their, their kindness of their heart, their will, right? Then after a while, that shit kind of gets old. And so he was like now doing all the stuff to try to get out of paradise that had, that had become kind of a prison, and I believe it was like he's over um, on the moon of Jupiter. So like he's 369 million miles away from Earth. And somehow he's trying to get back to Earth because he wants to be admired by humans. Which I thought was like, well, that's, that's interesting, right? Because in a way, it's like he doesn't want to be admired by people who are programmed or conditioned or engineered to admire him. He wants to be admired by people who he feels have the free will and that will make the choice more or less to admire him. At least that was how he felt before he got sent to Europa, right? He wants them to choose to admire him, to choose to look at him as this great leader or whatever, um, and that's the value of free will. Now, the parallel we're, draw, we're, we're meant to draw, I think, is to think about the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve and that question, which is, why would God give free will to these beings? You know, because first he had the angels, right? And I guess the angels were more or less like those clones where they constantly served him and serve God and constantly built him up. And he was like, no, I don't want that. I want these beings, you know, that aren't super subservient or whatever. And that I want them to make a choice to love me. And then, of course, he puts the apple tree in the middle or the pomegranate tree, depending on your interpretation, 
tells them not to eat it. And there is actually a, a reference to that. There is like a tomato tree in the Watchmen series that Osmanius had created a genetically um, modified, like a tomato and apple tree or whatever um, in the series. So there's a parallel there between Osmanius and, um, and the biblical God. And so he puts them in this garden. He says, don't eat this fruit, but he's also given them free will. And then they choose to disobey him. And then he shows up, the biblical God, he shows up and then he, you know, inflicts uh, punishment upon them and then sends them out of paradise and then, you know, hardens their life. And then, but then he seeks praise and adoration for them by being able to show up and say, well, I'm protecting you and I'm your God and to, you know, cast judgment or whatever it is. So what we're speaking, what, what Watchmen series, I think low key is speaking to that kind of God and his mentality, which if you think about it, it's a very human mindset, right? And it goes back to the quote that I started at the beginning of the episode where it's the frailty of genius is that it needs an audience and not an audience that's, you know, that's going to like you no, and like what you do, no matter what you do, which was the biblical angels, right? That they were engineered to always praise him and always love him. So not that kind of audience. It's an audience that has free will, that can make a choice. And I guess you could argue that maybe there was a part of the biblical God that was excited to see the beings that he created make a different choice, which is to choose to disobey him, you know, and however that ends up playing out. But if you really then sit and think about it in that mindset, it's a little fucked up. Like it kind of low-key says that this dude is kind of fucked up a little bit. And, and, and he's very human. The biblical God is very human, Right? If you're all if you're all knowing and all powerful being, why the fuck do you need to create like you know a race of little frail mortal beings to worship and adore you like you why do you still have an ego more or less basically and so I'm gonna jump back and put it back to us Manny so what happened was so he's in this world and you know they're constantly loving him. He wants to get out of it because this isn't, you know, what his idea of paradise was. Well, what ends up happening is then the, the clones, you know, they come up to him and they, they, he, they catch him as he's trying to leave. So the original Adam pulls him in and they try him. And he's sitting around and he's surrounded by a bunch of clones who aren't even like, close to like they're just all empty headed and bear in mind that this guy is you know is the smartest human being of our time right he's the smartest man on earth you know arguably arguably of course so that's his superpower he's just super intelligent and he's surrounded by these clones that have like no experience they don't have any understanding of math or sciences or you know they can't craft i think the most that they can do is serve and bake cakes um and and that's really it and so then they try him and so you have somebody who's like a great genius being 
judged by these like beings that are insignificant peons to him, right? Which for me makes me kind of think of human beings, you know, that write books that basically say that there is no God and you know, none of this is real and all of this just, I'm sorry, not, not, none of this is real. Um, but that all of this happened more or less by accident with the big bang or whatever. So it's like, you have this all powerful being that created life. So he cloned all of them or most of them or whatever. And then they're sitting there judging him because he's trying to violate a rule that he created, which was that you can't leave paradise because it's paradise. And they're like telling him, you've got to stay. And he's like, I don't want to fucking stay anymore. Like I want to leave. I've been trying to leave. And so they take him, they tie him up and then they take from the tree which I'm, I'm, I'm saying, I'm guessing is, you know, the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil. And they, every time they ask him, are you going to stay? And he says, no, they pelt him across the face with it, just humiliating him. So there's that. Um, and then I think before that, that, that punishment or whatever, he's in this courthouse, in a courtroom being judged, being tried by these clones and he just thinks that this is so fucking stupid, right? It's like being surrounded by fucking fifth graders and you're a college professor and they're telling you you're an idiot or whatever. And you're just like, uh. and they're judging him. And then they say, you know what? Like, and he gets up in his defenses. He just like, lo- like loudly flatulates. And, you know, the, the first Adam, the first man in Europa gets gets up and says, you know, you know, I guess he thinks it's a mockery. He thinks it's a travesty to be judged by us. He needs to be judged by his own peers. And so then they bring in like a bunch of pigs and then the pig squeals and then they pronounce him guilty. I like, like you understand how that, that made him feel like that's, that's like being insulted by the worst, but still in his mind, like he still feels like it's better. It will be better when he goes to earth or, you know, if he's able to get back to earth, I'm reminded of a stoic quote that says more or less, like, why do you seek? I think it was by Seneca. It says, why do you seek praise from people whom you can't even praise yourself? Right. So Osmandius, his, his problem is that he, he's too smart, right? He has no peers. So even the Adam, the first Adam of Europa, like kind of digs at him in that sense of, oh, you, you feel that this is all beneath you because, you know, we're beneath you. So here's your peers and it's like a pig or whatever. So just further demeaning him. But realistically speaking, there aren't really anybody there isn't really anybody else that's just as intelligent as he is. I mean, I think Dr. Manhattan comes close, but Dr. Manhattan is busy trying to, like, get laid. Like, he's not <laughs> trying to hang out with some dude in our in Antarctica or whatever, which is why I wonder if Osmania, he mentioned something towards the end of the seventh episode where he says there's, like, eight million people waiting for him, and I wonder if he just fucking cloned himself because that would be the only thing, right, where he would be able to feel that adoration from beings that are his peers, right? So that, that's really his weakness. His weakness is that he feels this, it's that ego, this need to be praised. 
But ultimately, there's a part of him, and I I don't know, I don't recall what book he was reading, and now I kind of want to Google it and figure that out. I wonder if it was Stoic. Wouldn't that be interesting? Or if it was a book on Stoicism. But, you know, that that's that's his issue. So now he's in a, he's in a prison, and he's imprisoned by his own creations, more or less, or at least an amalgamation of his creation and Dr. Manhattan's creations. And, and, and he's, you know, sitting there thinking about, like, how he can get out of there. And, you know, he's just over it. And then, you know, he gets given this device where he's going to, I guess, try to dig his way out of there um, to come back to earth and be praised or do something great where he can be adored by, by humanity. So it's either going to go two ways. Either one, those 8 million people that he's referring to that are waiting for him are either going to be clones of himself, which I don't understand how he can't see that that would not still be, that would be that wouldn't be rewarding either because what makes him special is that he's unique. And so if you then create 8 million ultra intelligent human beings, he, he kind of, he kind of diminishes himself by doing that. Right. Like, okay. So now you're not the smartest man in the world. Now there's 8 million people like you, which then I don't see him doing that. And then the alternative is maybe he has 8 million people who, he knows are going to praise him and, you know, follow him. You know, the 8 million people who have uh, received that video where he talks about being behind the events um, and the giant squid or giant, was it a squid or octopus, whatever, the one-eyed monster that they dropped, the, the fake alien uh, attack. You know, and and we talk about and they and they talk about that. So those end up being like his followers. But then he's still right back to where he was in Europa, which is his idea of what utopia is is deeply flawed because one, he's he's seeking admiration from beings that he doesn't even admire, right? He doesn't admire the intelligence of the beings that he found or that found him and that he created in Europa. And then he's coming to Earth for basically the same thing. It's, it's Sisyphus, right? You push, pushing that rock up the hill only to have that roll back down him again. And then another thought that I had while I was watching that episode is that I think I said something to the effect of Nobody wants what they want. They just want to want. Right? So nobody wants what they want. They just want to want. Right? Think about, let's just use Ozman, Oz, <laughs> I'll call him Ozzy. Let's just use Ozzy or Oz right now. Ooh, the Wizard of Oz. I wonder if that's a reference. Anyway, right? He feels like he wants to be desired by people, by humans or whatever. And then he gets that. And that's his idea of you, you, you know, of utopia. But then once he gets what he wants, he's like, no, I don't want that. I'm not like that. I want something else. And then I feel like that's his, that's going to be like, you know, his Sisyphus circle, right? Like then he's going to go to earth and, oh, no, I, I, I don't, I want to be worshiped but I want to be worshipped by earthlings. And then they come around and then they praise him or whatever. And then he realizes, I don't know, that's not what I want. 
I want something. So it's just this constant chain of want, like, you know, that insatiable want, insatiable desire, which is once again, deeply human trait. So that we have both in Dr. Manhattan and his inability to exercise free will, and then in, in Dr. Oz with his inability to exercise free will in a different way, right? His inability to exercise free will is more in the sense of not being able to get past his own desire. And his ultimate desire is his own ego and his constant need for praise. You know, it's funny because there's one episode where they show him meditating. You think that he would realize by practicing a Buddhist religion that it's the, it's the attachment to your desires that causes suffering. He keeps desiring suffer, or he keeps desiring praise, and as a result, that desire keeps leading to his own suffering. So I guess there's a part of him that desires suffering, right? Which once again is a latent human fatal flaw. You know, I in the in my black face episode, I talked about that. I talked about how, you know. If you're still wearing blackface in 2019, 2020, there's got to be a part of you that's like self-destructive. There's got to be a part of you that, that recognizes that what you're doing is fundamentally not only wrong, but will, if it gets out, harm you, especially in this day and age with, you know, everything kind of being, you know, under surveillance, more or less. We, we self-surveil, you know, one another. And, and if you... Or on social media, people will like willfully even like contribute to their own lack of privacy by uploading videos and pictures of every single thing that they're doing, right? And I even said that we're we're moving towards to a future where you, there's going to come a point where your own memories, your own thoughts aren't even going to be private anymore, and it's just going to be a culture of sharing, you know, everything about yourself. You know, there's a part of me that would argue that that's probably already happening even now if you believe in the sim- simulation hypothesis, but I regress. Ultimately, you've got to know when you're engaging in that behavior that what you're doing is inherently self-destructive. You're going to harm yourself by putting on blackface, by, you know, using the N-word, by all these other behaviors that you've seen that, first of all, that society is not going to condone. Why are you doing this? But it speaks to the inherent, innate, rather, self-destructive version or part of ourselves, you know, that, that exists in all of us. Uh, the movie Annihilation deals with this as well. Like we're all self-destructive in, in one way, shape or form. So if you have an eating problem where you are consuming foods that you know are bad for you, that's an example of that. Or if you have an alcohol problem where you're drinking alcohol, even though there's a warning on the bottle that literally says like this shit will kill you, you know, it causes cancer, you're still doing it. People who smoke when they're like literally on life support, you know, or hooked up to a machine, they're still like, there's a self-destructive part of themselves. You know, people who are on dialysis but are still consuming foods that put them in the position where they have to be on dialysis in the first place. Like this is all behavior. It's all self-destructive behavior. And I actually kind of even wonder as I'm thinking about that, if that's the same thing that could be applied latently to um, Dr. Manhattan as well. Like there's a, there's a part towards the end where he says, you know, no, it's inevitable. And I'm like, does he just want to die? 
you know, like he could at any point in time stop it, but he seems to like embrace that part of the ending of their relationship, that quote, tragic ending, because he almost seems like he wants a tragic ending. You're all powerful. Like it's a bunch of white supremacists with some shitty, you know, being like you can stop it. You know, he didn't have to walk outside. He could have, he knew that they were sitting outside. So like, that's the other, you know, fundamentally human aspect of Dr. Manhattan, which is the kind of the self-destructive drive, innately self-destructive drive in all humans. And that's the same thing with uh, the, uh, Osmandis or whatever, right? Like, or Dr. Oz. Um, he has also this like self-destructive drive. Like you're the most intelligent person in the world, but you keep kind of doing these little things that kind of put you in situations where you end up suffering. And it's like there's this, there's an innate need for him to suffer for some reason, you know? But when you watch these sort of shows, what I love about what HBO does, not with Game of Thrones, like they really, they really fucked up the last couple of seasons. We all know this. But the first few seasons of Game of Thrones, what I loved about it is that it literally, like you could, it, it, they do a great job of delving into the psyche of what makes us human you know, for better or worse, even when you have gods, you know, like in the case of Dr. Manhattan or kings, like, you know, in Game of Thrones and all those kings and and things of that nature, you know, ultimately our flaws, our, our loops, you know, our, our ego, what our desires are, what we, we think we want versus what we actually do want, which is basically just to want, you know, that HBO does a great job, even Westworld, you know, of just, if you watch these shows from a, like a different perspective beyond just, okay, I'm trying to be entertained, but like really sit and watch and think about how that applies, you know, to you and your humanity, you know, they, they do a great job of that. But anyway, so yeah, this is what, what I believe was Dr. Oz's, Osmandius's like weakness, you know, his frailty first and foremost is that you know, he needs the audience, right? But then innately, why why does a genius need praise from people that he can't praise himself? You know, I guess, because what else is he going to fucking do, right? You're, you're on this planet, you know, you have to you have to live. He's a genius. He's not going to end his life, right? So he's got to do something with his time, with his intelligence. And he creates all these things, but nobody seems to, you know, care or or even be aware of it. You know, he's doing all these things to sort of be like, okay, so I'm gifted with this ability. I've got to be, I should be doing something with this, right? And so, and I'm sure a lot of us have that kind of feeling like, okay, I have this talent, I have this gift, I've got to be doing something with it. Okay, now I'm doing something with it. All right, I've got to get some sort of praise or recognition from it. But there's also a part of you that rec- that should be recognizing and that does recognize that even with the praise and recognition and fame and admiration that comes with it, like, does it fucking matter? You know, most of the people that are praising you are people that can't do what you're doing and that's why they're praising you, right? But is that rewarding if it's not 
praise that's coming from your peers. It's a deeply, deeply lonely existence, both for Dr. Manhattan, which explains why he puts aside his power. He takes on, you know, the memory thing so that he can just have a normal, lesser existence as a human being, you know, just to be a regular person and just to connect with another human being and not feel lonely, you know. And the same thing with Osmandius. Like, these, these people are, are lonely. So that's another aspect that, you know, gets kind of, that's kind of been, you know, discussed or kind of flirted with or played with, I guess, in, in this show. You know, it's a, it's a comic book show, but it, it is deeper than obviously what you can see. But of course, the, the guy who created it is, um, is a very interesting character. And, and um, you know, he, I, I, I think he's done a good job and, and HBO has done a great job you know, even independently of him in bringing some of these thoughts, you know, to, to, to the forefront, so to speak. It's not just blind entertainment where it's just shoot them up and all this other stuff like that. It's stuff that really makes you think, you know, and it, it's stuff that makes you just think about like just even a creator. Um, I personally don't believe in an ultimate creator because I don't think that anything can be created or destroyed, right? Only modified, which means that everything that exists has always existed and always will exist. Nothing can be created or destroyed, only modified. And if you believe in quantum physics and the findings of that and all of everything is happening at once and time is just merely an illusion, then that also means that, you know, everything that has ever happened that will happen, it has happened, is happening all at once right now. So it's just, life is just that. And then time is just the uh, method in which we use to kind of create an experience so that, you know, I guess eternity doesn't feel <laughs> quite as long. And so when you, when you, I guess, if you think about, you know, Buddha, uh, Buddhism or even Hinduism and the thought of uh, reincarnation, not to get too off topic, but I think it applies somewhat, you know, and they, they believe that, you know, it's, we're all gods. Ultimately, we are all just one God experiencing, having just various experiences, you know, at one given time as, as different human beings, you know, and you would ask yourself like, okay, well, well, why would you, why would you do that? Why would a God take himself and, or herself rather, or an entity without a gender create such, you know, diversity and duplicity or whatever and, and, and separate itself in so many different beings? And I guess the answer to that is like, well, one, probably because if you're the only being of your kind that has ever existed, and and has always existed, you know, I think after a while that shit gets probably lonely, right? <laughs> I don't know if gods can get lonely, but that'd be a good topic for another for another episode. But I, I would imagine that would get lonely, you know. So then you split yourself in two and you start from one entity and then you take the neg the negative or the female aspects of yourself and the positive and the male or the male aspects of yourself and you split that and you become two. Right, and then, and then from that on, you combine those two, and then you make different variations, and then da 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 da. 
and you just keep splitting yourself just so that you don't feel that crippling sense of loneliness. But yet there's still aspects of every single human being that still, despite all of that, still feels lonely. And then we talk about like, if reincarnation is real, or if reincarnation is true, then why, why would you choose to forget your past lives? Well, I think that that's, that's the whole purpose of our, of our reality, of our experience in life, right? It, it is to forget the past life. It's exactly what Dr. Manhattan did, where to feel finite, even if it's just for a little bit, and he says, like, nothing ends, nobody, you know, nothing ever ends. So, I mean, he would know. But if you could do something to yourself, to your consciousness to make it so that you just feel that this is all there is, it, it would be a welcome break from eternity, wouldn't it? Right? Just for a little bit. Forever, quote, small, your life experiences on earth right now, even if it's just for a little bit, if you were truly an immortal being, and you could just for a short period of time have a mortal experience, I think that would be like taking a really great nap, so to speak. Anyway, yeah. Go watch Watchmen. Show's deep. Show's deep.